0: What the hell is the name of this thing? Is It's Wayne's World.
1: The award-winning Evan Grant. I can't even count anymore on my fingers and toes. Kevin Sherrington. Kevin Sherrington, clown number one. Barry Horn. He tried to get me in mid-shoe.
0: Oh my, the brand new intro for Upon Further Review, the podcast
1: that keeps evolving. Pretty cool stuff, huh? Michael Florek did that for us. Michael Florek. Owner of the Quack Attack podcast, and of course that's Brad Sham doing the intro, the great Brad Sham. Let's let's get moving.
0: And we are here with <laughs> New Rangers hitting coach and man whose name will be butchered most often this year on the roster, Anthony Ioposi. Anthony, how are you, man?
2: Well said. That was that was perfectly said. People people get scared of the I and all the vowels. It's only six letters.
0: I, I hey, the first time I wrote it for. Uh, for online, I, I had the A and the O. Uh, he
1: had it about three different ways.
0: I had it transposed, and I I know that at some point in time this year I will call you by the wrong last name. So I'll just I'll probably just go with Anthony all year if that's okay
1: with you.
2: That's great. Most mostly everybody just shortens I A P O C E up to just Post, and everybody just calls them Post P O C E to make it simple on them.
1: I, like it. post. I, I just can't wait till you till you you hit the big time and your name is on Wheel of Fortune and somebody has to buy a vowel.
2: They <laughs> don't know which one to buy. There, <laughs> they'll be right. Much, no,
1: no matter what they pick, they'll almost be right. They're pretty much no, in, right. in good shape. Yeah, they'll get one. Yeah. So,
0: fair. you have now been on the job. Uh, what two weeks?
1: Uh,
2: a little bit more. Right around. Uh, I think it was that that first week in November. So yeah, about, about three weeks now.
0: And and what is what does a new hitting instructor do during the off season in those three weeks between? getting the job, and I know you're not going to really kind of get in contact with, with any of your players until after Thanksgiving, but right. what do you kind of do in, in this period of time?
2: I think the first thing you do is, is you welcome yourself to the organization. Um, I've had all the, all the coaches uh, make contact with each other, and I've talked to them as a group and, and separately starting to build that relationship. Um, I will be flying down there. Uh, first week of December to meet with to to meet with more people in the organization and 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 some guys in the staff and it's 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 you're going to start building those relationships with the hitters and the position players after Thanksgiving between that Christmas time because it gets real busy and then once because once January hits it's full goal but you know even before even before you get the the job or the interview you know you're looking at players you're studying their stats you're studying their video you're you're, you're watching what they're doing, their success in the minor leagues, you know what maybe got them successful. you're talking to the coaches within the organization um, hitting coordinator passing coaches in the minor leagues figure out what has worked or keywords or, or how to treat certain guys and just just ease that relationship in uh, so it's not so new in spring training.
0: And you are kind of taking on this, you know the way the way Jeff Bannister has described it to us and and I know you talked about it in your interview was the idea of, quote-unquote, an offensive coordinator. And so that's going to have to involve having better communication lines with the minor league instructors and the minor league coordinators, as well as what amounts to really uh, you've got two assistants, basically, with, with Bobby Jones pregame yeah. and, and Justin mayshaw during the games.
2: Yeah, and, and also, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a hitting coach, hitting coach who, who is – is going to help each other you know Jay tingler's been in the minor leagues and, and he knows all the players so it's just a collective group of guys you know as, as getting on the same page as you want to get players better to ultimately build that that team chemistry as you say and, and those team standards to help bring a world series uh, to arlington so i think as far as the offense i think when people mention hitting you know the first thing you think about is mechanics of the swing and then the next thing somebody thinks about is, you know, their approach: selective, aggressive, aggressive, selective. Which, whichever words you want to put first. And I think, I think you got to take that, and you got to, you got to build a group of guys to to pull for each other like they did last year, and continue to have those guys grow and, and continue to build off each other, and find ways to to manufacture runs, to score runs, to blow people out, to jump on guys, to wake guys out um, as a group. And I think the mentality that you're trying to create is a win-every-pitch mentality. You know, people talk about wasting uh, at-bats or giving away at-bats, and out that bat, you gave away a pitch, which, which which might have changed the course of history, you know. So uh, as many pitches as you could win during the season, you win those battles, you should be in the playoffs, and you win those battles in the playoffs, you'll be in the World Series.
1: You you know, I I think where fans uh, get a little messed up sometimes, Anthony, is that when they hear that we want you to be patient, they think that means that every every hitter is supposed to take eight pitches. You know, and and I think one of the things I think was that last year what the Rangers did so well, and certainly in those games uh, in Toronto, in the playoff game, was that they were – they went up there, you know, looking for for their pitch, not necessarily just taking pitches. You know, if, if that pitch is yeah. the, the first pitch, if that's the one you want. Then swing at it. You know, you know, yeah. th- that's fine. Uh, so, talk about that a little bit about what it is that you want these guys to do in those situations.
2: Yeah, I think one of the the, the biggest most overlooked thing is that pitches per plate appearances and how many pitches a guy sees. I mean, if you're a guy who strikes out a lot, you're definitely seeing three. And the major league average is around 3.85, so you're already there, right? So, it, it's, it's what you do with those pitches. It's what you're looking for. You, you're just, you, you know, you're setting goals to hit the ball as hard, hard as you can, right, as many times as you can throughout the season. So, that may be the first pitch. It may be an 0-2 battle to get back to 3-2. But you're looking for a pitch. You're anticipating where it's going to be. And you're ready to swing at every single pitch in your zone. I mean, there should be some type of, not necessarily a check swing, but some type of positive movement from your backside to your lower half of your hands at every pitch because, if that pitch was where you were looking, you were letting it fly, and you're able to hold up at the last second. so you know taking a pitch for me, the definition is being able to swing and holding up at the last second. that's all it is right uh, so when you're talking about guys being patient it's you you could be patient and swing at the first pitch if that's what you're looking for. so I think we get we get too derailed or too too deep as far as when we talk about being patient and aggressive and look man, hitters have gotten in the major leagues. Because of what they've been doing since they've been six years old, and they've learned to harness that. Now the competition is getting better. Now the pitching is getting better. So, it's still learning yourself, and still still learning about what pitches you can and can't handle, and and letting the other stuff go to two strikes, and then just surrendering yourself and battling with two strikes and finding a way to put the ball in play to be productive.
0: You know, I and to build off of that, I think one really good example on that front is is the case of Elvis Andrus. And maybe that's because he's been here now seven years and and people have seen every side of him. But I I do think that that's a guy that we've seen struggle with, hey, I'm going to go up there and be patient, which just means I'm automatically going to take the first pitch or I'm going to be aggressive, which means I'm going to jump on the first pitch rather than necessarily going up there with the idea of I'm going to look for this pitch in this zone, the one pitch, one zone mentality that Jeff Bannister has preached, how do you get a guy like Elvis and and what have you seen in, in what you've watched of Elvis and how do you get that guy to
1: to get to that point where there there is more in there to be gotten? And before you answer that, Anthony, I would like to ask yep. you also, what do you think his potential is?
2: I think I think when you look at Elvis, you look at a you look at a pretty good compact swing, you look at the balance. He's able to use the whole field when he wants, um, I, th- I think when you look at him, you look at my, not necessarily Jose Otuve. I mean, obviously, you know, similarities, middle infielder, uh, not a real tall guy, can make qual- a lot of quality contact. And I think one of the things uh, you saw Otuve do the last few years, that early in the count, he was looking to really hit the ball hard do- and do damage because guys like that aren't going to get walked a lot because they're not a threat to hit, you know, 20 to 30 homers. So you got to be able to square balls up through the middle of the field and hit the gaps. Um, early in the count, making sure you're doing what you need to do with the pitch you're looking for. But, hey, we could just say, hey, just look for the pitch you want to hit and swing at it. And that sounds so easy, but the guy in the mound is not cooperating. Right. You know, he's disrupting your timing. He's throwing fastballs, breaking balls, balls that move sideways, balls that move up and down, constantly changing your iPad and busting you in off the plate. So, you know, the pitch is disrupting everything. So it's, it's you building – you know, it, for Elvis it's, it, and every other hitter, it's going to be building that trust in your work and believing in that when you step in the plate and then being all in in what you're doing at the plate and trusting it. Because when you talk about being patient and aggressive, that's the hardest thing to teach because those are two opposite words mm-hmm. that we just tell guys all the time. So you're sending like a missed message. Hey, you need to be patient, but hey, you need to be aggressive at the same time. Hey, you're aggressive, but now you need to be patient. So it's it's our job as coaches to teach that but it's also, for me, it's how to interpret those words to each individual hitter. Because right now, we're talking, and the four of us could say it, and all four of us could have different meanings to each one.
0: Absolutely.
2: So, yeah, so with with each guy and with Elvis, you know, it's it's a, it's going to be a thing where, you know, early in the count, he's going to be able to square balls up, use the whole field, give a high a high average on his bad bip on balls in play. You know, you want that around 300, so... Um, I think him getting that average up, it might have been a little bit lower last year. And, and just really focusing pitch to pitch as an individual hitter, because it's not in the box thinking. It's what you do when you step out of the box. Those random thoughts, we average between 20,000 and 50,000 random thoughts a day. Um, so when you step out of that box, it's to, it's to really focus on having that one clear thought on what you're, what you're trying to accomplish. And I think, I think once you're able to master that, the in-game swing in the pitch you're looking for not necessarily becomes easy, but it gets a little bit simplified for it. doesn't mean it's simple, but it gets you to focus a little bit more on what you're doing.
0: Hey, when we looked at Elvis's numbers over the course of the year, we saw a pretty marked difference in his first half and second half splits. And it was often explained that Elvis this year incorporated a leg kick much more pronounced in the second half. Is that the only thing you saw, or have you watched enough video to get an idea of what was the difference from first half to second half and the progress there?
2: You know, one of the main things is that once the hitter gets in the box, you don't know their thoughts. You don't know what they're thinking about. So the things that we always point out um, as coaches or as fans is the physical thing, because that's what we see every time, whether it's a leg kick or toe tap. Uh, a no stride, a short stride, a conventional stride, a hand pump, a hand trigger, whatever that may be. What what we're trying to do as coaches and hitters is to provide something that creates a looseness and a rhythm and a start trigger to try to get you on time with the pitcher, right? Because you're only going to be on time with the fastball probably 25 to 30% of the time, that's when you see those guys square those balls up. So I got to be able to hit when I'm not on time. I got to be able to hit when I'm a little early, when I can flex out and my hand pass goes straight and direct to the pitcher. Or I got to be able to hit if I'm a tad late and I fight it off and stay through and get my jam job hit. Um, so whether it's a lay kick or whether it's just a conventional stride, it's got to be something that's that's comfortable to the hitter, but also, you know, also attainable to what he's trying to do. So, you know, being comfortable one thing, being right is another thing. So you want to be right and comfortable at the same time, and that's through reps, that's through practice, that's through trial and error in the cages, and then the bottom line is coming down to coming down to it and, and trusting all your work. So, you know, you don't know what the guys guys are working on in the off season um, right now, and I'll get a better feel of that as I talk to the players. Um, but, you know, you just you just figure things out, and and a player's swing should always get better because they're constantly working on it. It's always going to be refined. It's always going to be modified, and it's always going to get, it should get shorter and tighter as you move up uh, through the levels of minor leagues and through the big leagues in five to ten years. Your swing is going to get tighter. Your approach is going to get better because of your experiences. So whatever it may be, a, you know, a leg kick that may, maybe made you feel more aggressive, maybe it made you see the ball longer, whatever that feel is, uh, whatever that thought process is with the mechanics is what we're all looking for.
1: Anthony, let me bring up a name that excites people here more than anything, Joey Gallo. Uh, what do you see when you look at at his swing, and what what needs to be done here?
2: You know, I think I think with, with Joey, I don't know Joey. I hadn't talked to him. I've seen him play uh, in spring training, and he, hit, you know, we talked about he hit one of the first longest homers I've seen. Probably you guys have seen a lot of that of him coming up through the minor leagues. But I think, you know, everybody gets not necessarily humbled a little bit, but learns that they need to constantly continuously to stay in the major leagues to make adjustments. It's not necessarily about making changes. It's just how to refine my skill so I could help the team win and stay in the big leagues. You know, we we dealt with that with the Cubs with a player named Javi Baez. You know, he, he was constantly grinding it out, trying to figure out how to make more consistent contact, you know, because nobody's ever gotten a hit from striking out, you know, and, and you figure the more you make contact, the more you put the ball in play, Especially as big as some of these guys are, like Joey, is the better chance you have of hitting another homer. Um, so when you see Joey, you see size, you see, you know, it's it's not a long swing, it's a short direct swing. So um, sometimes when guys get called up to the big leagues and they struggle at first, you know, we start to question ourselves as hitters, as players, um, what do I need to do? Um, but I think with Joey, it's just it's just it's just finding out who he is and, and what type of player. Uh, he thinks he needs to be and what we think he needs to be to stay in the big leagues and be a part of that part of that lineup as a productive hitter um, to help the team win so you know again it's going to be up to the to the position player and the, and the coach to get together um, and figure out what adjustments uh, that the hitter thinks he needs to make and what adjustments we think they need to make uh, to be a part of that lineup but you know Again, you, we compare him to a guy like Chris Bryant because you know, they're big, they're both from Vegas, and they both hit a lot of homers. Uh, one of the things I learned from Chris is that he really, he really prides himself on being a really good hitter first. And then, you know, as he gets through the season, then the balls get out. So, you know, maybe that's something that other guys can talk about is, is being a hitter first, and then once you make solid contact, the ball's going gonna, gonna to leave the yard anyway.
1: Anthony, I, I think that's the, the issue that uh, it, when you watch uh, Joey hit it, is that obviously he's a really bright kid, you know. First of all, and I, and I think he he gets you know the, the adjustments he's supposed to be making, and he and he is working on those things. But I, I always go back to, to watching uh, uh, one of the one of the Bash brothers, uh, Jose Canseco, when he was playing for the Rangers. I remember there, it was a, he had a full count and there were runners in scoring position, and he choked up on the bat. And, and, you know, for a guy that big to be choking up on a bat was one of the most shocking things I think I, I've seen in baseball. It, but he understood my job here is to put the ball in play. Uh, mm-hmm. And, I, and I, when I watch Joey uh, uh, you hit, I think he's thinking, I've got to hit this ball 475 feet. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I wonder if, if uh, when you say that about Chris Bryant, is, is that a, a difference you see between the two of them?
2: Well, you know, Chris is still trying to hit the ball. 400 feet, but he also understands Chris loves the RBI. Like when you sit and talk to Chris, he loves the feeling he gets when he drives a runner in, and that could be an 87 hopper, you know, through the middle or a ground out. Chris just loves driving in runs. Uh, He has since I first met him, so he's going to do whatever it takes when he gets that runner on third and less than two outs or runner on second base. He's going to find a way that he just knows he needs a single right there. You know what I mean? Maybe the right field or something to help him stay on the ball a little bit longer. You know, you know, choking up, doing things with two strikes, making physical adjustments, whether you choke up, you widen out, uh, you put space, you move close to the plate, that's all to get you to your mindset of feeling shorter. You know, I have guys who who, who hit 280 and never choked up or never moved close to the plate. You know, they just widen out the field, use the opposite field, take their single, weren't afraid to get beat, those type of mental adjustments. But some guys like to do the physical adjustments to make them feel shorter, to, to make them feel like, okay, I just got to put the ball in play. So, you know, as far as, as choking up and thing like that, again, that, that's a mental thing. And, and we live in such a uh, – we have to be so tough as baseball players. Sometimes we feel that choking up isn't tough or isn't a tough mentality. <laughs> um, sometimes we just got to put away our ego in our back pocket and do what needs to be done at the plate. Um, you know, the harder you try, uh, sometimes it backfires on us. Um, so it's 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 controlling the breathing at the moment, it's figuring out what I need to do and more importantly what the pitcher's trying to do to me and eliminate pitches from him, pitches that he could command, knowing what pitches I could I could do damage early and, and be able to surrender. I like to use that word surrender with two strikes. Two strikes are still not an out, you know, you gotta prolong the at bat and you're just trying to get to the next pitch. So it's it's just not giving in. It's 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 the mental Drain after a game where you're so you're so drained because of all the decision making you had to do. It's easy just to give in and to chase or to swing at anything and take a shot, but it's hard to grind out at that. That's why so so few guys can do it. It's and, mentally taxing. So and that's a learning experience. Joey's still so young, man. He's got so much to learn. He's, he's going to be great. He's going to be fine.
0: And let's you know, I think it, it, we have to say it again because a lot of a, a lot of listeners are going to once again think. Joey was in the big leagues this year, that he was ready for the big leagues. I, th- I think from John Daniels on down, people have said within the organization, Rangers promoted Joey Gallo out of necessity. They didn't have a third base option, and Joey went to the big leagues. And now he's got a learning base to, to kind of fall back on from, from what happened this year. No no doubt. No I, I, doubt. Look at, I look at hitting coaches, Anthony, and, and, and p- pitching coaches, really. I, I think that on, on both ends – everybody's got good information you know some guys are better swing tacticians some guys are better um philosophically but i I think one thing that you bring to the mix based on the research i've done is this this energy and this this positive energy when i talked to jed hoyer this this winter about what you guys had done in the cubs organization he talked about your your maturity in terms of of how you approach the job and organization but a kid-like enthusiasm and a way of communicating with guys like with Schwarber and Brian and and Javi Baez and on down, how much do you feel like energy plays a part in being able to get whatever your message is across?
2: I think that's that's number one. I mean, I mean, you guys work with each other all the time, right? And you know something's wrong as soon as you walk into a room. The first thing somebody says is, uh-oh, what happened? And nobody even needs to say anything because that's the that's the energy that we set the tone for. So I think well, when you
0: work with Barry, you know there's no energy there. So <laughs> we just kind of have to. We just kind of take it Don't for what it's worth. Don't humor him.
2: Stop. Stop. <laughs> well, he's humoring me.
0: No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt.
2: No, it's good. It's good. So you, as a coach, you, you have to maintain that. You know, everybody says it'd be a positive energy, but then if you're overly positive and it comes off as being fake. Um, and not real, then that, that's not good either. So you have to be able to have, I think, you know, in that, in that quote that Jed had said, I think it's, it's an enthusiasm for, for loving what I do, which is being part of the game and being a coach, whether it be the hitting coach or base running or, or whatever. I think you have to be able to have tough conversations with a guy where you have to be honest with him. There's times where, you know, you have to, you have to hug him. There's times where you have to get on him. Um, there's times where you have to tell him things that maybe he doesn't want to hear you know, um, to get him going, to get him motivated. Uh I think that also comes in this in that quote that Jed said was there's just getting to know the player and what what motivates him, what inhibits him, what scares him, uh what is what is his fears, what gets him going, his family. So I think everything involved in that, and the more you know about a player, the more enthused and more energy you have because You feel not necessarily this friendly bond, but you feel this camaraderie bond of each other because you're you're grinding it
0: out. And that was one Um, thing I wanted to touch on really quickly with you is I think this past year as the roving coordinator or or as the hitting coordinator, you made a couple of trips to the big leagues and and saw your guys that you would develop relationships with. Is is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Is is that something that you would kind of endorse here because these guys – now, I know you'll have Mayshore with you this year, but – these other guys have had and started to create relationships at the minor league level with those hitters down there.
2: Uh, what do you mean for, for me to travel down there, or for them to? No, for them for coaches? them
0: to come up for for the hitting oh, coordinators man, to occasionally be, come up and visit.
2: That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we were able to to work that out to uh, have each hitting coach, you know, even even experience big leagues for, for a three game series, because what happens is, as a minor league coach, you're dealing with. You know, in, my, in each system, including Venezuela and Dominican, there's there's over 100 position players. You know, so you're dealing with 100 different people as as the hitting coordinator each year. Um, but as the coach, you're, you're 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 competing every day, and guys are getting better, and players are getting better, and you're getting excited. And then you go to big leagues, and you're like, wow, this guy still has a long way to go. Right. You know, so it's 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 being able to to see that, and then if, be
0: able to teach them at the minor league level if they go then, back there again.
2: Yeah, and and going back and going, fellas, we got a lot of work. You know, we right. thought we were improving. We we got to get – we got to work – not necessarily work harder. We got to be more refined. We got to focus better because the difference the, – the biggest difference that you see when you watch a major league game or even a triple-A game compared to the lower other levels of double-A long down is the focus and the intent on the hitter and the pitcher. It's It's totally different. You know, the talent, as people say, is the same. The arm strength, the swings, the power, all that is the same. But the intent and the focus – on each pitch is way different. You see that right away from the first pitch of the game. You see it when the guys go out to stretch before the game and they're running sprints. You know, to to the fan, it looks like they're enjoying it and they're having fun. But you could, if you, when you know the guy, you see an inner an inner focus that he's starting to lock it in for the game and and you know going to battle with every pitch. But I think it's important um, for coaches to get there and see see it for a few days and and just being able to to take a step back and say you know. Because the guys in the big leagues are not going anywhere. They, you know, they change from team to team. You know, so you got to find a way to to get yourself to the big leagues and find your niche, and not necessarily always work on your weakness, but you got to promote your strengths as much as possible. So, yeah, I think that's I think that's very important. I think I think even even minor league managers and pitching coaches, a ball especially when I was roving, I would try to go from AAA to low A, right, to see that to see the huge difference. Um, just going, hey guys, man! I just came from Triple A. Like, this is what's going on there. These are the things that they're making, the, the the plays that are being made on defense. You know, the pitches have plus secondary stuff, you know, and they're trying to find their way to the big leagues, and they're in the, they're in Triple A. They're really good. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure, that that would be awesome if we were able to to work that out with some of the coaches.
0: But we'll make sure and play this for John Daniels. So sweet, sweet. <laughs> hey, we appreciate you taking far more time than we expected today. And, no problem. Um, it's great stuff. I, I look forward to working with you this year and and being able to quote lots of BABIP stats and, and maybe some weighted on-base averages, if that's okay with you.
2: That's sweet. That's All, good. I'm in.
1: Awesome. All right, we'll talk to you right. soon, man.
2: All right, fellas. Thanks. Take care.
1: Thank you. All right. You know, one of the things about a, a hitting coach, I, I think what fans don't understand, is that they see something going wrong, why don't they fix somebody? And, and the deal is, is that, uh, it's not always mechanical. It, it is so much of it is mental and about whether you can reach this guy. Why Rudy? It's, it's Har- all the message, Kevin. I, I, I mean, I, I think it is. But it's like Rudy haramio What made him successful as a hitting coach to me was that first of all they had great hitters. Right. Number one. Secondly. He didn't try to reinvent these guys. No, he,
0: he knew their swings, and he didn't. He didn't look. You go back to Rudy. You look at Jeff Bagwell and, and his swing in Houston. Right. And Rudy was an architect of that. Right. And that's not a traditional
1: swing. No. But 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 Rudy knew what made these guys tick. He made them feel comfortable, and I think that's the deal. And I, I and I don't want to criticize Dave Magadan, because I got to tell you, I didn't know Dave Magadan at all. It was so hard to find him in the in the clubhouse. He was always running from one place to the next. I look. I think
0: Dave Magadan worked hard. I think Dave Magadin's a good hitting coach. I think he. I think. Dave Dave Magadan is more of a message guy than he is a swing tactician. But again, it all comes down to whatever your information. How are you going to connect with that individual player?
1: Absolutely, I can remember going back one time when Bobby Valentine was a manager, and they they sent they sent somebody Jose Canseco, Bobby Valentine.
0: <laughs> well, these were these were good references. Tell us t- tell us about the time that you interviewed Ted Williams in his Cowboys. Have boot.
1: people heard of, of Jose Canseco, and that, would they think about him choking up? No, they would not think. That. They would think he's swinging for the fence every time. That was the whole point. I'm bringing that up. The the point is, is that they sent him down one time and Fergie Jenkins worked on Bobby Witt and told it and gave him a message. And when he came back before he came back up, Bobby was mad. And he's and he looked around to us in the in the dugout. And he says, what is what is Fergie telling that we're not telling him? And and I and I wanted to say to Bobby the fact that Fergie Jenkins was saying it maybe that was the deal maybe maybe, maybe they he, he took it more seriously different voices
0: same message it it it, it gets oh, across a different way for absolutely. a lot of
1: guys I mean and it's necessary and you can
0: talk to Rangers pitchers and even the good relationships that they had with Mike Maddox a lot of them will quote guys like Danny Clark and Brad Holman and and, and Jeff Andrews for making for for being able to be a resource when they needed another voice and and. That's what it is. You don't just talk to your wife or to your supervisor. You talk to lots of different people. And and that is the same thing in in baseball. It is not... Just to, okay, fix
1: me now. One other thing i like to say. I before, think too much players do rely on hitting on, on coaches to just fix. Oh, them. absolutely. One other thing before we get out of here, I, I want to say that too. In talking to Jeff Banister this year, it was kind of clear to me that he thought that in the in the system in the farm system there was not a consistent message, not not to what they wanted to have at the major league level. And that he felt like that the, the the what the message they were preaching at the major league level, he wanted that from the bottom up, which is obvious that well that, you need to do this that. is one reason I, I thought it was important
0: to ask Anthony about his experience with the Cubs and going from the minor leagues to the big right. leagues because it does create that bridge of I've seen what I've seen what these guys did at the big leagues if they go back down now I can see what the difference is I think there's real value in that we're going to get out of here because Barry hasn't had a cookie yet this afternoon and well we also let's, have to let's get make to it clear we're stuff.
1: doing this at a different time than we usually do it I've had my full Is it past my, cookie time? I've had my fill of cookies today. We're here in the afternoon. We're almost today. to your milk and cookies time. Goodbye, Kevin. Goodbye, everybody.